Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Well, let's just go ahead and stay off course. Uh, go to John chapter 2, if you would, David. Uh, Jeremiah, I haven't forgot about you. You want to dismiss our kids? Kids, you are now dismissed to go with Pastor Eric through this side door over here to Kids Church. God bless you. Go and learn stuff. John chapter 2, I'm good. John chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Just off, I felt the Lord just shift everything tonight. So I'm going to go with him. Is, that, is it okay if I follow him? Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> I know you'd want me to do that. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. The mother of Jesus was there. And <clears throat> verse 2, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Three, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. In other words, she just presented the need, right? She presented the need. They ran out of wine. They didn't say they didn't have any. They ran out. That means they drank it all. And when they ran out of wine, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Is he telling the truth here? Yeah, he's the, he is the truth, right? So only truth can come out of him. Okay? Woman, my hours, what is your concern to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Verse 5. Um, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. All right? So Mary says, now your hour's here. That's what she said. All right? What happened? A shift. Just like that. A shift happened. Say it. A shift happened. Jesus said, my hour's not yet come. His mother said, fill the water pots. Look what Jesus says. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Verse 7. And Jesus said to them, my hour has come. That's what he just said. Fill the water pots. Apparently, my hour has now come. What activated that hour? What caused the shift? Was it Jesus' faith? No, it was his mother's faith. His mother's faith caused a shift. He was not in his moment. Now he's in his moment. He's not in his hour. Now he's in his hour. Wow. That's what I'm saying. Tonight, you moved from not being in your hour to being in your hour. A shift. And this is the, this in that shift, that's where the miracles are. Lord have mercy. That's where the miracles are, are in the shift. Amen. All right? Because this is, this is the realm of faith. And the realm of faith is all things are possible. Amen. The realm of faith is there are no limits. Amen. The realm of faith is you pray those dangerous prayers. Amen. You say those dangerous things. Think about this for a moment. How many people would have simply accepted what Jesus just said? My hour has not yet come. Come on, can we be real for a Oh, okay, well, he's, okay, sorry guys, you're out of, no, 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 no. This is the power of your faith, all right? Because God's in that faith with you. And if you'll dare to believe what seems to be impossible at that moment, all of a sudden becomes nothing but possible, all right? And this will cause us to pray Marvelous, marvelous kind of prayer. She said they're out of wine. They need wine. 
Whatever he says to you, do it. So then, now we see the setting. Fill the water pots, and they filled them up to where? They filled them up to them. How many water pots were there? How many were there? Six water pots containing how many gallons apiece? 20 to 30 gallons. Let's go conservative. We'll say there's 120 gallons, all right? Let's say there are 20 gallons, 120 gallons, all right? Let me ask you something. Do they need wine? Well, yeah, they do. She said that, she said that they, they ran out of wine. But, but do they really need it? I mean, they drank all of it. Would you think that they actually need more wine? Is that really a need? Or is this a luxury? Isn't wine really a luxury? Not a necessity? Hmm? Jesus is concerned about <clears throat> luxury, too. Oh, I love this because religion goes, ooh, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm just not comfortable with that. Jesus, I just want you to meet my needs. That's all. I humble myself. I don't want to ask for anything wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to be greedy, Jesus. So just meet, just, just take care of me and mine and give me my bread and my water. When there's wine to be had. And he said, now think about this. Okay, okay, all right. Why not just one water pot? If I didn't say, fill up one of those water, that's 20 gallons at least of wine. All right, shouldn't that keep the party going already? Huh? 20 gallons? Right? He said, fill the water pots. Fill, in other words, everything that's there, fill it up. Whatever containers we have here, I want them all filled. Now, wine is the need that's presented. This is man's issue. This is the issue at the wedding. And Jesus shows up and presents how God meets a need. Wine was just the need. He wasn't trying to make people more drunk. He wasn't trying to, you know, that, that's not the point. What he was doing was showing us the nature of God. Amen. And the nature of God is exceedingly, come on, abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. My family, this is the very first miracle that Jesus performed. What is he trying to teach us? What is he trying to show us about God and his concern for us? What is it? What does he want us to know about the character and nature of God? This is the first, first impression. And it is a miracle of more than enough. And not only is it Lots of wine. But they took a ladle and they dipped it into that wine and they took it to the master of the feast and he, whoa. Where did you get this? Because by now, after everyone has well drunk, that's what he said, that's when you bring out the inferior wine. You present the best wine first, but you save the best wine for the last. Not only did he present wine, but he presented the best. Yeah. 
wine. And it says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus do. This beginning of miracles he did. So this precedent-setting moment, this first impression of a miracle-working God is a miracle of abundance. Based upon even what that word that Eric brought to us from the Lord, this lavish kind of giving. This lavish kind of giving. Hey, I don't think it can get more lavish than grace. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Stay with me. Romans chapter 5. Um, we're going to start in... Um, let's see. Let's start in verse 8. Start in verse 8 that says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. All right, let's keep rolling. Much more. Say much more. All right, we're going to see these words uh, a, a few times in, this, in these next few verses. Much more. Shout much more. Then having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. All right? Jesus rescued you from God's wrath. That's what that says. He rescued you from the wrath of God. All right? Which God made it impossible for himself to be angry with you. Impossible. If you ever think for one second God's mad at you, you're believing a lie. It's impossible for him to be angry with you because he put his wrath on his son and Jesus rescued you from his wrath. You got that? All right. By that blood. Hallelujah. Next, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Now, this, this is what I'm talking about. This lavish kind of give, this grace, it doesn't make any sense to us. Because we live in a world of Sowing, reaping, karma. Right? What goes around? But that's not what this message says. This message says, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled. Now, it makes sense for God to look out on the earth and see some good people and say, you know what, I need to help them because they've been real good. They've been following me. They've been crying and praying, and they've been reading their Bibles, and they even tithe. So I'm going to do something real special for them. All right? Now, that would make sense that God would reward those, right? That he would reconcile them, that he would look. But this is when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, say much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved. How? By his life. So reconciled by his death, saved by his life. In other words, his death was your death. His death satisfied your earned death because of sin. Because you were born a sinner, therefore you deserve death. But Jesus did that, so therefore you were justified or made right. Justified, you can remember like this is a good theological word, justified, uh, glorified, sanctified, all those are good Bible words. Justified, you could remember it like this, just as if I had never sinned. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Well, what is that talking about? 
We shall be saved by his life. If you're reconciled by his death, that means the only thing that you can do, my family, from this point forward is to live. Delivered by his life. Delivered by his life. What's his life? His life is eternal life. Wow. You've been delivered by his life. Which means you're coming into life and more life and more life and more life. Let's go. Verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So the reconciliation on God's end is done, but on your end it has to be received. For it to become your total reality. God reconciled the world. Did he not? He did. God reconciled the world. In other words, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches us that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. Have we seen trouble in the world? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, Paris, just recently, we just see thing, one thing after another, just sin and degradation and murder and, and hatred and bitterness and racism and all this stuff in the world. This is what we see because we live in this world. But my family, you have to remember, all that that's going on, all that that's happening, that blood that was shed 2,000 years ago is just as effective for all of this that's happening now, right now. People are sinning right now, and the blood right now has, was shed for all of that. Not just back then. It's right now at work. Right now at work. And because Jesus is sitting in that blood on that mercy seat, God's still looking at a world. He's looking at a world reconciled through the blood of his son. That doesn't mean God doesn't know what's going on. Please understand. All right? God's not out of touch like, I see nothing. All right, you have to understand what he's actually looking at, all right? He's looking at us through that sacrifice. He sees the world, and he sees the world reconciled. In other words, he, he, what he did was he chose not to hold people's sins against them, not imputing their trespasses to them, the Scripture says. He did, he, he, there's all this stuff going on, and God is, God is not focused on that. He's not looking at that. He's satisfied. All of that anger and wrath towards sin is now seen in the marks, the scars of his son's body. It says that he laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, he blamed Jesus for every sin that's ever committed in the world. Blamed his son for it. Now it's unjust if he blames us for it too. It wouldn't be right. And he's going to do the right thing. So, watch. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received. So now, he also needs us in this deal. God's part is you're reconciled. Your part is, I receive that reconciliation. I receive that reconciliation. And that's when it becomes alive in you. That's when this becomes alive in you. That's when eternal life comes and lives in you. Hallelujah. Let's go. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, say, that included me, because all sin, verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, um, 
in Colossians, Colossians 2, chapter 2, verse 13. Bring that up for just a moment, if you would, David. Is it Colossians 2? Colossians 2, 13. You have it, Brian? Hang on, David. Read that up. Yeah. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Wow, okay. Thank you, thank you. He says the handwriting of requirements that was against us, he took it out of the way. What was that handwriting of requirements? It was the law. Where there is no law, he can't, he can't credit you with sin. There's no imputing of sin. The law has been taken away. He took it out of the way. I said he took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross, and now it's in, he can't impute sin because there's no law now. Man, this is good news. All right, let's go back now to Romans. Sorry. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 13. We just, we just read 13, and we'll continue from there. Are you guys okay tonight? Yeah. I know, yeah. I know, I know. It's fun. Say much more. Much more. Oh, he has so much more for us. He has so much more. Romans 5, 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Is there a law? All right, then sin's not imputed. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And now he's going to show us, he's going to show us how Adam, how Adam is a type. Is a type and is a contrast. Okay, watch. Um, verse 15, knowing this, that our old man was crucified, uh, oh, I'm sorry, but the free gift is, I was about to say, wow, that is not, but the free gift is not like the offense. The free gift, where'd the free gift come from? Who brought the free gift? Jesus. Who brought the offense? Adam. The free gift is coming from Jesus, the last Adam, the offense is coming from the first Adam, all right? But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, many meaning all, <laughs> uh, where are we? Back to 15, sorry. Much more, say much more. There it is again. The grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Okay, how, how is it much more? Did Adam's offense affect all, men, all mankind? Then how does grace affect mankind more than all? How do you get more than all? How do you get more than all? How is it much more? Adam already affected everybody. How is Jesus' grace much more? How does that work? I mean, that sounds great. Yeah, I believe much more. But we need to understand what that means. We could say amen to it and not understand it. But <laughs> and it sounds great. But here's the thing. 
Adam's sin, God told him there would be a consequence to that sin. If he ate the fruit, he would die. He told him that, didn't he? And then everyone that was born after Adam carried that sin nature. They were all born with that same sin nature, and it was just one generation after another, after another, after another, after another was affected till it hit all of us, every man. What happened? They got, through Adam, what they deserved. Sin brought death. In other words, it's the consequence of an action. It's the reaping from the sowing. It's the what came around from what goes around. <laughs> Are you hearing me? But grace isn't like the fence. Grace isn't like the offense. Because grace comes from the giver because he simply wants to give it. Because we could not deserve it. Because we could not earn it. Because we could not karma this thing to come around to us. That's what makes it much more. He just gave it freely. Grace trumps the offense by eons. Because if we were reconciled while we were enemies, that's powerful. This is, the, this, is, this is the God who comes to you and says, much more. There's more for you to have. All right? Because if he'll do that for you while you're dead in your sins, my family, what's possible while you're alive in Christ? If he would do that for you when you weren't even looking for him, when you're an enemy, when you were shaking your fist at God in one sense. As Isaiah said, I love the way Isaiah says. It says that we all, we like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everybody's just living life for themselves. And then God said, I'm blaming you for this, Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll take it. Powerful. But, but, but the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Tell me what time it is. 8.54? You need to change your clock. You forgot to set it back. Welcome. Welcome to the new time zone. <laughs> I love you, man. Verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, which was deserved, right? But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. The free gift came from many offenses. Well, wait, what does that mean? The free gift came... From many offenses, and that resulted in justification? Okay, let's slow that down. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. One offense, condemnation. But the free gift came from lots of offenses. It sounds like all that sin stirred up grace. That's what it sounds like. Okay. 
Hold, hold, your, hold your horses. But the freedom which came from many of us resulted in what? <laughs> okay. It, that sounds like that saying, the more offenses that we, that we presented, it ended up in justification the more we sinned. That's what it sounds like it says, doesn't it? The more we sin, we be, <laughs> all those offenses resulted in justification. I know, but the free gift which came is what resulted in justification, not the many offenses. The free gift came because of the many offenses. Because God saw that we were powerless. We were spiraling downward and downward, and it was just getting more and more and more and more and more. So God gave us grace. Okay, and it was that grace that justified you, not the many offenses. Many offenses were condemning, condemning, condemning. Go, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, say much more, here it is again, much more, those who receive abundance of grace. Anybody want an abundance of grace tonight? Just receive it tonight. Those who receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. How do you get that gift of righteousness? By faith. How do you get to receive an abundance of grace? By faith. Will reign in life. Reign in life. It doesn't say reign with life. It says you will reign in life. That is, everything that life brings, this is really speaking about the life of God, you reign in that. You rule in life. You are in control. You are the one, as God said in the very beginning, are carrying out that mandate, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion, reign, because that's what you're called to do. You're not called to just take punches as they come. You're not called to just take life as it comes at you. You're called to reign in life. Much more. Through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, we're almost through. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. There was nothing that you could do there was nothing that you could do about your sin condition because that's how you were born. Adam did that. And there's nothing that you can do about your salvation, your justification. Jesus did that. Except that you receive it by faith. You believe it and something new happens. You are recreated, reborn, born anew. And now... And now that you're born anew, if you're born anew, that means you have a new nature. That means you cannot help but want to please God. That means you cannot help but want to do the right thing. That means you cannot help but want to reach out to others and to love others. Now, it doesn't mean you always do that, <laughs> but you want to. You want to. You know what it's like whenever you whenever you disobey the Lord. You know what happens on the inside? It starts talking to you, right? You feel that, you get the sweaty palms and you, you, know, you know you shouldn't do this. You know you shouldn't say this. You know you shouldn't think like this. You know you shouldn't do this because there's something on the inside that is so pure and holy that is really guiding you and saying, hey, 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 that's not you. That's not your nature. You're not acting like yourself. 
You're not acting like yourself. Because if you were acting like yourself, you wouldn't have any problem doing what you were doing. You wouldn't have any problem with it. But that wrestling starts happening because the, in, the inner man, the born-again spirit says, I want to live for God. I please Him. All right? right. Resulting in, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, man, he just hammering this thing, isn't he? By one man's disobedience, many remain sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, that God would show men they are powerless to become righteous on their own. They're powerless to be justified by good works. Powerless to do it. It will never save them. The law came and it showed them actually just how sinful they were, but it had no power to help them. But where sin abounded, thank God Almighty, grace much more. Grace abounded much more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. How many of you believe tonight that if you have, you're not a Christian, that if someone is not a Christian or before you were saved, how many of you believe that, that there was, you could not do enough good things, enough good things to earn heaven? How many of you believe that you could actually be a decent person in the earth and, and live, live a good life and be philanthropic and reach out to others and help others, uh, uh, but not having received Jesus, how many of you believe, know for a fact that you would still end up in eternity without God? We believe that? So what you, you believe that there is no work that can save you. Do you believe that? In other words, what, what you're actually telling me is that that sin nature, that sin nature is way more powerful than any work that you could perform. Are you ready? Who brought that sin nature? Where did that come from? Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, if you believe that that is true about no works can make you righteous, can keep you from the power of sin taking you into a Christless eternity, then you have to believe that at least equally is true that now that you are born again and have received grace, that there are no works that could undo grace. Just like you believe that there are not works that could undo the power of sin, then you have to at least believe there are no works that you could do that could undo grace. Otherwise, you conclude that sin is more powerful than grace. You have to believe that grace really is much more. This is critical thinking here. You have to believe that grace is much more. You have to believe this gospel that it truly is by no works whatsoever. So that you don't get caught up thinking that your salvation and your righteousness and your good graces with God depend on you. 
Not for one second. The moment you start to do that, you decide, I'm not giving Jesus credit anymore. It's all him. It is this last Adam who has came and brought you a gift. And there's only one thing to do for a gift. Now, wouldn't it be ludicrous if I came and brought you a gift, all wrapped up, Heather made a nice little package because I can't wrap presents, all nice, had a little bow on top, and I brought it to Jeremiah, and he said, what do I got to do to open this thing up? What can I do? Can I wash your car? Can I clean your house? Polish your boots? What can I do to open that gift? Now, how is that going to make me feel? Hmm? What'd you say? Weird. Weird. <laughs> Good call. Weird. Maybe a little bit upset. No, no, no. This is a gift. I just want you to do one thing. I just want you to open it. I just want you to receive it. I'm giving it to, to you because I love you. I'm giving this to you because I want you to have it. That's it. Isn't that beautiful? This grace has come to you. And in this grace, in this God of grace, there is reward after reward after reward after reward. He is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. He is a, which means that he continues, continues, continues. Tonight when you leave here, I want you to remember that God's a rewarder. And not to pray small prayers, not to think small thoughts about your God and about your life. Because he has brought you to a place where you reign in life. All right? You reign in life. And that's going to be known, not by your works, but by simple faith in him. Just receive the gift. Receive this lavish, abundant gift from God. Choose to lay religion aside or any of your own thoughts or reasons to try to keep you from it. Just simply receive this lavish gift. Father, thank you for this time with my family tonight. Lord, you've spoken to us in a, a most powerful way. Thank you for coming and meeting us in this special way tonight, Lord. We, we believe that on November the 18th, a shift took place in our lives, a shift took place in our church. And we will never be the same. We're not satisfied with the way things are. The, no longer, no longer are we satisfied with bland and average and good enough and this is the way it, I guess it's always going to be. No, 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 no. We're not camping here. We're picking up stakes and we're moving forward. And we're coming into more. We thank you, Lord, that you are a rewarder. Thank you, Lord, that you are a rewarder. You are a rewarder. You are a rewarder. You are a rewarder. Man, I just see, I, I, saw, I saw these ropes snapping, snapping, snapping in this, uh, almost like a balloon. Just more, bigger expansion, 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 expansion. Hindrances are broke off your life. You're, you were stepping into that shift, into that miraculous, that God, that God part, that God part tonight. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Ooh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. You're no longer taking the stairs. You're on the elevator now. You're on the elevator now. You're just along for the ride. Praise God.
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.